Lock the gate! <laughs> All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fuck, Nicks? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast. Welcome to it. I, um... I don't know. I'm still a little jet lagged, but getting better. I, I'm almost sleeping through the night. Look, today on the show, we got it's sort of a double header. Haven't done that in a while. I had a an interview with my uh, my pal Dan Pashman around in the uh, in the can. We're going to throw that up. And Mark Arm, the uh, guitar player and singer from the band Mud Honey, Seattle's own, is also here. So kind of a little bit of a double header. I'm going to go through some emails because there seems to be, I wouldn't say any sort of theme, not a theme, but people are a little touchy. But first, let's do this. Today is, when, what is it, Thursday? It's Thursday the 18th. I'm in San Diego tonight, tomorrow, Friday, and Saturday. But I just want to make sure that I give everybody a heads up where I'm going to be playing. Okay, because it's hard to get word out. And I got an email from a woman named Carol who understands. She says, I feel you. Hi, Mark. I've been listening to you for years and never wrote in, but I just wanted to let you know you are not alone. At the beginning of today's episode, that was the other day, you were talking about how you got to keep announcing upcoming shows or else people are like, oh, I didn't know you were coming to my town. I am a program manager for a small nonprofit in northern Michigan, and this morning, right before listening to your podcast, I was gardening with friends, and they were like, you need to work on a better way to communicate about your events. I didn't know about your events Saturday. I told them about how I posted it on Facebook and Instagram. My boss sent out an email about it. We posted it in our, on our marquee outside. Local NPR talked about it, and the local newspaper wrote about it. After pointing out that it feels like I'm doing enough to get the word out, they all shrugged it off. Well, I didn't hear about it. Huh. One said she saw it in the newspaper, but really I need to be better at communicating with people when we have events. So I just wanted to share my experiences so you know that you can do your darndest, but people are going to keep claiming it's you who is not getting the word out, not their complete lack of effort to seek out information. Keep up the good work. I really enjoy getting to listen in on your chats. Warm regards, Carol. Well, yeah, man, that's, I don't know. I, I, I guess it's annoying. I. It's really not about, I understand some people got to listen to me talk about places that aren't near them, but I'm just trying to, I, I don't go out that much and I'm going to be out a lot. You can go to WTFpod.com slash tour to see where I'm going. The other emails there's, okay, the tone of this one I enjoyed because I really hope this guy is a, a Buddhist that would make me happy. And, you know, sometimes, you guys, I don't I don't even remember, you, you know, what I said. It's usually I'm, I'm making a joke. It's in a conversation. or you know, I understand. I understand things are delicate and things can be touchy. But the tone on this one was great. Buddhism comment. 
Hey, Mark, read D'Onofrio episode. Your summary of Buddhism based on meeting a couple of people in a basement cafe was about the most tone fucking deaf perspective I've ever heard. You sounded like a smug idiot. No, that's not correct. You sounded like a fucking totalitarian evangelical, though sadly many I've met are a bit more intelligent on the subject. So good job there. Didn't hear the D'Onofrio interview after that. Thanks for nothing. Wouldn't bother even writing, but I like you enough to bother. Maybe because you're the only person who drops dirty Uncle Bill references once in a while or often displays a genuine humility. Who knows? On behalf of lay practitioners and your idiot listeners who now have a new definition of Buddhism courtesy of Mark, try practicing right speech once in a while, which loosely translates to, among other things, try shutting your pie hole about shit you clearly know nothing about. I know it's hard and your pie hole is your business, but hey, you're not alone. We're all trying here. Nice tone, Morgan. And yes, my pie hole is my business. But uh, are you okay, man? You know, maybe you should meditate or something or kind of like balance out a little bit. I'm not sure what I said, but it does like, it. I don't know. Is, is your chosen religion working for you? Wow. Nice tone. I like the, the flow of it. I did. There's another one that I found uh, enjoyable. Women don't fart, question mark, question mark, question mark. Oh, boy. Sensitive people. Hi, Mark. You said a couple of podcasts ago that when an opportunity comes to teach a lesson, one should take it and teach it without sourness or anger. So here it comes. I found the conversation you had recently with your guest, Kyle Dunnigan, about women farting funny but disappointing, to be honest. So let's um, take pause and and know that, that it was funny. All right, the disappointing part is coming, but it was funny. I don't even remember what it was, but just for your general information, women are people, and they fart just as much or as little as other people do. Oh, my God. Do you, like... Is our our jokes really lost? I mean, like, do people believe fucking everything? Seriously, just exactly how do you think that women's farts would smell less if they did? It still comes out of their arse, after all. There's no biological reason that would make women evolve to have less smelly farts. Oh boy. The women in your life repress a bodily function so that you are not inconvenienced. And you, on the other hand, don't concern yourself with whether or not the fact that you don't inconveniences them. This should pretty much be the textbook definition of patriarchy, in my opinion. Okay. I know you didn't create the conditioning, but I feel that in that conversation, you inadvertently contributed to this conditioning. Imagine a teenage girl or young adult listening to that. With all the insecurities that that phase in life brings, thinking you are the cool guy that you are, and then bam, she's told that her bodily function should be repressed because Mark Marin thinks women don't fart as much, so she must be sick or something. I know that this may seem trivial, but it's the little things that make a big difference. All this aside, I think the podcast is great, and I love your work in general. Cheers. Mel from Australia. Look, you know, wow. Look, I, 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 rep- I repress farts pretty, re- pretty regularly. I'm pretty farty and, you know, and, and, and I'm, and I'm polite about it. So, so that, that goes on and I don't ask anyone in my life to repress their farts, but you know, when they do fart, I mean, I might be like, wow, 
or like what or like was that you or like did, what happened in here or or if i do it i'll be like oops uh ah, that was bad i'm sorry is it still in here i didn't i thought i i didn't i didn't know it would follow me into the car there's a lot of things that happen but i don't think this is really a fundamentally patriarchal problem and you know i don't mean to argue you know i don't want to get into the you know this fight but uh and and i'll just say to my teenage listeners feel free to fart but you know you're gonna you're gonna have to take a hit you know farting you know it can hang on you forever like you know if you fart in uh, in the wrong situation you're going to be the farter this is male or female this is non-gender specific fart advice you know i think we all know innately that uh, though natural farts can be embarrassing and intrusive and sometimes just like like holy shit where did that come from what did you eat so i think on that level impressive but still, you know, not great socially. Okay? All right. But I do enjoy the new definition of patriarchy, almost that I'd like to repeat it. The new definition of patriarchy, according to Mel in Australia, is when a woman represses her farts so it doesn't inconvenience the man and the man doesn't um, do that in kind. In other words, the man doesn't uh, realize how much that is unfair because he farts freely that's patriarchy definition one hmm. new stuff learning new stuff also you'll notice i don't fart on the podcast you know out of respect for anybody in here i just i don't like the the whole the premise i, I don't like using farting as a a political or ideological launching point so folks if you listen to the thousandth episode a few weeks ago you heard me and brendan talk about our beginnings at air america radio and one of the guys there was dan pashman you might have heard pashman on here a few times i tend to have him jump on the mic whenever he's around because we have a good time talking about bullshit and you may also know him from his podcast the sporkful where he talks about food with people from all walks of life including a lot of comics recently he had on uh, maria bamford josie long ron funches you can go check out the sporkful at uh, thesporkful.com or wherever you get podcasts that's the sporkful so this is me and pashman doing what me and pashman do when he's in town I just created a file. It's called Pashman for no reason. <laughs> I feel like all of our conversations could be called that. <laughs> like when I saw that you when you texted me, you're like, "I just want to see the house." I thought, "Well, do you want to? Is this to get on the show?" Well, it was to see you first yeah. and foremost to see the. But new that, place. was this in the back of your head? It was in the back of my head that it could happen. Yes, but I would have been, <laughs> but I would have been very happy with the visit had it not happened. But the fucking thing is, is like I was about to just sort of like, "All right, see you later." And then I'm like, we're standing in the garage, and I'm like, all right, well, let's just get on the mic <laughs> and do whatever it is. Because I did see you in New York. I, I, you know, I don't usually do stuff like that. Like, you, you know, it was a live uh, sporkful, and uh, I, Brendan told me about it, and it was down the street where I was staying, and it was a live debate about pasta shapes, 
And I thought, what could be more relevant? <laughs> <laughs> like, but, but, but what could be more Pashman? I don't know that you accomplished much that night. Do you, <laughs> do you feel like you made any headway on the pasta shape thing? I mean, not, and like, I don't know if I give a shit, but I have opinions about it. Well, that sounds like I, you give a shit. Well, I agree. Well, I mean, I don't eat, I hardly ever eat pasta. Okay. But, but there was a time. Well, I remember when someone introduced me to Popperdell, and I was like, "This is pretty amazing." Yeah, you know, with the rabbit ragu of whatever sort, Oof. or orchetta, orchette with the orecchiette. That's like the orecchietti, little, little ears. Orecchietti. It's yeah, called yeah. With uh, the well, I made it for a while. I had a recipe from some uh, Bon Appetit Mediterranean uh, edition, and I made it with broccoli rabe. That was the the angle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I made it a lot. And I've also I also mastered uh, bucatini. La Michichana, oh. I mastered it because I dated a girl who loved it, and and I I actually had to like kind of scour L.A. at that time to find guanciale because it was before the the big artisanal meat explosion. Right. So finding guanciale uh, in L.A. was not easy. I had to track down an actual <laughs> de- like I went to one Italian deli. They're like what? And then I found another one who had it, and because it does make a profound difference in that recipe. This must have been a special girl. Well, I wanted to impress her, and I also liked cooking, and it was a challenge. But and it's a very specific uh, sauce that Bucatini La Mitrana. How is it? La, La, La Mitrana. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, but the guanciale, which is a pig jowl, you can use pancetta, right? But it's not the same flavor at all. Yeah, it's a definitely different flavor. What do you think about? And Bucatini, people should know, is like it's like a, a similar to spaghetti. It's like a long pasta. Yeah, it's hollow down the center. It's shaped like a drinking straw. Yeah. What's your take on Bucatini? I don't know. You know, I I don't know that I would have used it outside of the recipe. I don't know of what it's. I, I heard the argument on the show about the sauce gets in there. What I don't know. It's a different texture, and you know, it's kind of a, a fun texture. I I couldn't really identify whether sauce was getting in or not, but it you know it, 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 <laughs> when you chew it, it feels different than other things yeah that's really what it comes down to really with the pastas it's the chew yeah i mean like it's that's the fun of it it's like it's all sort of made of the same shit so you know what does it do in your mouth well that's what but that's what makes pasta shapes fun and exciting right because it's all you know there are a couple variations in the dough you might use but still like it's not a huge variation so like the shapes are what makes the the pasta pasta different yeah yeah i mean i thought it was a pretty good discussion what's on your mind um well, I, I want to ask you. I'm curious. Uh, yeah. you know, I, you know, since I look up to you as a performer, like, uh-huh. like, like you got any pointers for me for about the, what about the live sporkful? Like, how could we, how could we do live sporkfuls and make them better? Well, I wasn't sure whether anyone was going to adjust someone's mic, and I think it happened uh, out of necessity. <laughs> like, like there was some uh, for you personally. No, I thought you did good. You felt comfortable. You, you listened pretty well. Um, I, I don't know what it, it, it was. Pretty no frills. Yeah, you know what I mean. But, I love. We had the a projector projecting the Sporkful logo on the curtain on the stage, and the first thing you walk in, you somebody like, "Oh, what? You got your own curtain now?" <laughs> it's like classic old guy. Yeah, no, I was like, "No, we don't have curtain money, Mark. It's just a projection." Okay, yeah, I mean, it looks solid, it looked tight. I was like, "Wow, that's impressive." Yeah, and you take it on the road. Yeah. No, I thought you did a good job. I thought you're funny off the cuff at times. You know, I I always like when people are recording. Uh, a live show where they stop and they do things over. You did that. <laughs> yeah, we did that a couple you, times. You know, yeah. but I, I thought you engaged well. How'd you feel right. about it? I felt good. It's, I, I don't know if you find this. I, I feel like I, I've realized that I'm a bad judge of of, of how well a, a I can tell if the live event is good, but yeah. I can't tell if it's going to make for a good podcast when I'm uh-huh. up on stage. Yeah. Like you'll feel a, a strong reaction from the crowd, but then you listen back and it's just like it falls flat. Well, you got to mic the audience. 
I was going to tell you to do that. We did. We did make the audience. Oh, you did. Yes, yeah, so we we can Maybe ride. It didn't go we well. can ride. <laughs> I didn't want to say anything, but I, it seemed like the, at least you had people who liked right. the show there. But my I goal, thought they were supportive. Yeah, yeah, they were. <laughs> that's why I invite my family. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, but I also think like you know you are just arguing about pasta. So like, how do you know if that's going to kill? I mean, it seemed like. You know, like the, there were some good laughs, and there were some like pretty emotional moments. Well, in in, in terms in terms of your original question, what yeah. are we trying to get out of it? Yeah, like my my goal without was really just to to get people thinking about pasta shapes. Yeah, why are some shapes better than other? That they have better different surface area to volume yeah. ratio. The sauce sticks to them better. Or they feel better in your mouth, or they stay on the fork better. Whatever it is, there's not one all knowing pasta. Different pastas are for different purposes, but some are better than others. And so, yeah. I, I, and, and I think a lot of people have opinions about these things but don't realize they have yeah. opinions and I wanted to get people thinking because I am going to try to do this. I want to set off on this mission to create a new pasta shape. Oh, okay. So this episode, this live show yeah. will be like the beginning of that journey. You are aware that the world is ending. <laughs> <laughs> I guess this is what we need to be doing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, we got to we got to like keep our interests uh intact. I guess this is my coping mechanism, yeah, Mark. I think that that's <laughs> That's what everything on television should be called. (laughs) That's what all things should be called. (laughs) The coping mechanism. That's what we're all doing. I mean, I I have been thinking so much lately about that bit you used to do about like maybe the people who are depressed are the ones who actually know what the fuck is going on. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Maybe the happy people are really the ones in question. Maybe depression is a reasonable response to the shit we're going through. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Well, no, I always thought I always kind of thought that. Right. But it seems like. Now, now more than ever, I, I wonder if there's like a how is it not a sequel or a follow up or uh, or extension of that joke that w- that you could bring back that could be relevant to today? Yeah, I mean, I I think I could probably bring back that joke. I mean, uh, the only argument about it is like is, is what's trauma based, what what is biological? Can people track their bad feelings? You, you know, I mean that that's what the the real question is. But I think a lot of it is, is obviously a reaction, reaction, if not to the world, to whatever is in your life. Do you know what I mean? That the, it can trigger and stick. Do you feel like you resent people who claim to be truly happy? No, because I've I've learned that that you know if people say that that's a red flag. You know. So I guess, <laughs> You know, but there are people that seem grounded and have things in perspective, have peace of mind, uh, you know, feel good about what they're doing in life. And you can feel that, um, you know, the happy thing as my new joke on it is that like, look, I, I'm, you know, happiness is a long shot. If I can have relief for 10 minutes, like, you know, I'm, that's how I'm geared. I mean, I've been doing a joke about that, like uh, like about how people, some people actually say that, hey, that would be fun to dot, dot, dot. I've never said that about anything. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Like if I can like not think about me for 10 minutes or feel some relief, uh, that's as close as I get to joy or happiness. Right. I don't know if that's completely true. I, I think I stopped myself. But I feel like when we started working together- which Oh my was, God, was that the, was insane. It was, And it was a long time ago. It was right. now like 14, 15 years Is ago. Is it? Yeah. We've known yeah. each other for almost 15 years. You haven't really aged that much, I don't think. Really? Oh, thanks. Yeah. But I feel like I was a lot more upbeat and optimistic back then, and I feel like you always had a skepticism of my uh, outward happiness. Like, there must be right. something underneath this guy. Yeah. Like, I, yeah, I, well, I think it's also your disposition. I, I think, I don't know if it's a coping mechanism, but I, I think you are sort of like uh, an excited guy, don't you? I'm, yeah, I'm-, I'm uh, It's starting to, you're starting to get humbled? 
<laughs> starting to get beaten down, Dan. Beaten down. Yeah, the the weight of life. You know, yeah, is. yeah. Um, is eventually, this porkful is going to be like, yeah, it's not helping. This <laughs> this the soup isn't. It's okay, <laughs> but nothing is doing it anymore. Yeah, that's right. So what else? So you, now you're down here. You're in Glendale for what? I got some sporkful tapings. I'm going out to have Shabbat dinner with some old Jews in Palm Desert. They do Shabbat dinner every Friday at Wendy's. But do they, does Wendy's do anything different for them? They allow them to drink wine. They bring in their wine and, and the, the candles. Yeah, and yeah. The challah. And they do it in the Wendy's. And then they just order a single or a double or a triple. And then like no, the, then like Lou, Lou gets a baconator. <laughs> oh, uh, the uh, baked potato. No, the bacon uh, burger. It's oh. a burger with bacon on it. So on Shabbat dinner. Yeah, yeah. Uh huh. What is it? so? That's what you're gonna do? Yeah, yeah. But I've also, you know, actually, I'll tell you uh, a couple interesting things I was working on recently. Yeah. That I was gonna tell you about one was about. Have you ever heard of these underground tunnels in Los Angeles? Yeah, these go back to Prohibition. Oh, and they were used to smuggle booze uh-huh. under downtown LA. Oh yeah, and uh, and there's like a secret elevator near this municipal building in downtown LA, and you can go down there and, and go into the tunnels, even though I think you're not supposed to. Uh huh. And I did this episode where I was just kind of like wandering around L.A., kind of in search for this cake eventually that I needed to, to eat. But then I just was kind of. Where do you stand on Trace Leche's cake? Love it. It's the best. Fantastic. The best. You know what? I always thought someone should make a Trace Leche's cake with a Twinkie. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> why, why diminish it? Does why any, does why it, lowbrow the Trace Leche's cake? <laughs> does anyone not like Trace Leche's? I don't know if everyone knows about it because I've made it before. It's the three milks. I think they're, it's like uh, condensed, sweet, sweet condensed milk, right. regular milk and cream or something like that. Something like that, yeah. And you mix them all together and you just make this cake that's essentially a sponge. Right. And you pour it right on it. It's so, so good. So it absorbs it. Oh, that's one um, of my favorite All right, desserts. so wait, so did you find the tunnel? Yes. And you then did? I, I, yes, uh, I found the tunnels. They looked like, the, the entrance of the tunnels looked like the hospital in Stranger Things. Oh, yeah. It was like super creepy. I couldn't believe it was actually like an official municipal building. And then I followed the tunnels for a while and uh, almost got arrested. But then I I came out and walked above ground to this bar that's like the oldest bar in, in L.A. Uh-huh. And the, I convinced the bartender to take me down in the basement. And it was amazing. You would have loved it because you're interested in history. Yeah. On the Actually, I should, I'm going to show you the picture. On the wall, the basement used to be a speakeasy. Yeah. On the wall, they have a mural of a tree. With uh-huh. all these winding branches on the yeah. tree, and it's actually a secret map to all the underground tunnels and the and the prohibition bars. It's a prohibition map. Oh wow! Does anyone know about this? I found it on um uh what's the uh, Atlas Obscura. Oh, uh, I just was I was like I'm gonna, I'm gonna do a sporkful episode where I just like wander L.A. with no specific mission and see what happens. Uh-huh. And I just started the episode by googling weird L.A. Yeah. and clicking on the first link that came up and just following it. Oh, what was the cake you had to get? Oh, so so uh, a couple years ago, I did a sporkful taping at um, Patty's Diner in Burbank. You know that yeah. place? It's just over the hill. Yeah. It's, um, uh, I've been there since the 60s, old school diner. And I walked in before my guest, and I saw this huge coconut cake, up, like classic diner, three-layer coconut cake. And I love a coconut cake. It yeah. looked amazing. But it was like 11 in the morning. Yeah. I was starving, but I'm not going to have cake. But then we sit down for the Man, tape. Man, you've changed. <laughs> I know. I really <laughs> lost it. Yeah. <laughs> lost my edge. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I had an omelet and I had coffee and a yeah. muffin and I did the interview and then it's like 12.30 and now I'm just full and I'm like, ah, I don't need cake. Oh, cake. you did it. Right. <laughs> then, then I get back to the hotel that night and what happened? What? I yeah. was like, well, I'm a fucking idiot. Why, Why didn't I get I that get... cake to yeah. go? I should be eating it right now. Oh, so you I went was, back. Uh, so then, well, so two days later, I ended up back there. I was seeing a friend in Burbank and I was like, we got to go to Patty's. I got to get this coconut yeah. cake. And we went back there and it was they, they were out of it. Oh, man. You blew it. 
I was crestfallen. Oh, so you, but then you went back this way. I set out to to make my way from LAX to Patty's in Burbank on foot. Uh, lift foot uh-huh. underground tunnels. Yeah, hooker. What's crook. this? What is this? Hookers? Hooker or crook? Oh. What is this? Uh, grilled fish you were ta- telling me about? Oh, you got to go to this place. Huh? It's called uh, Coney Seafood. C O N I apostrophe yeah. seafood. It's in Inglewood. Yeah, I went there because. Um, I it's near LAX and I wasn't going to be by the airport again. Yeah, but this is like one of these Jonathan Gold specialties. Oh, okay, uh, it's not expensive. It's not fancy, but it's like uh, uh, Latin American seafood. Oh, um, tons of shrimp dishes, like yeah. amazing, like agua chiles, like oh. bright fresh lime and spicy. And oh, then nice. They do this whole grilled fish with oh. these uh, these onions and the corn tortillas. Oh, great! It's ridiculous. Oh, okay, I, I'll I'll write that down. Now let me just ask you before I uh, before I make you leave. <laughs> the <laughs> when you produce a segment like this where you're going to go to this uh, Shabbat dinner at Wendy's, I mean, like, what are you thinking? Do you, are you going to ask them, you know, like? where the tradition started for them and why do they continue it? Well, and also I think it's interesting, like they're all older people. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, I we don't have that many older guests on our show and, and so these are voices you don't hear as often. And I think yeah. it's interesting to hear like, you know, the role of this, like cause some of them were not religious growing up. So it's interesting yeah. to me that, that, that food and Shabbat dinner is this way of connection for them. A lot of them are widows or widowers. Right. And so, you know, there's a loneliness to old age and this like sort of quirky tradition actually has... It started off like, on a whim and has now been going on for years, and it's yeah. taken on a lot of meaning. Yeah, for for these seniors, so I yeah. think that's kind of cool. Yeah, it's cool. And then, like you know, anytime you can just talk to like cantankerous old Jews, that's going to be fun. Yeah, I, I I just wonder, like, I mean, I wonder, like, why you know how many of them grew up with it and where they grew up with it. You know, like, did you bring that up when I was? Yeah, well, uh, when you were not paying attention, yeah. <laughs> when I was talking too long without making it about you. No, I just saw that I had some messages. <laughs> I picked the phone up to show you a picture, and then I got lost. Yeah, yeah, that happened at Carnegie Hall. I know, <laughs> on stage. That was the, that. That was such a great show in a million ways. But like, that was probably my all-time favorite I, moment. I wanted. I had to wait for the phone, and then I wanted to read the email from my dad, and then I started checking my message. Yeah, you're literally on stage at Carnegie Hall. Like, you walked on stage, you were like almost in tears. It was such an intense yeah. moment. Halfway through the show, you're like, I'm just, I'm just gonna check my text here. Hold hey, on I, a second. Well, I wanted to read that email from my dad, and then I had to get my phone from backstage. Which right, was like, and we were all sitting. You got like whatever three thousand people waiting, yeah. and you're and like, can someone? backstage please bring my phone is it gonna happen is it gonna happen it was a while and then she showed up and everyone's like yeah 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 and i read the email from my dad which is worth it and then i was just like scrolling a little bit right and and then you caught yourself you're like oh sorry i'm not gonna check check my text right now like that was so great i was very present yeah yeah (laughs) all right well so sporkful every when do you drop them uh mondays usually yeah yeah and uh we'll have fun out there in palm desert thanks buddy it's good seeing you you too man are you gonna cut oh you take care you want to say take care again? <laughs> you too, man. Take care. Yeah, because I stepped on it before. That's cool. No, we're going to put both of them in. <laughs> All right, Dan. Talk to you later. Thanks, buddy. Dan Pashman, the podcast. His podcast, The Sporkful. You can get it at the uh, thesporkful.com or wherever you get those podcasts. Uh, it's always kind of nice to see Dan. No, it's always good to see Dan. So, look, I'm pretty excited about... Uh, I was pretty excited to talk to Mark Arm. I've been a mud funny, a mud funny. I've been a mud funny, mud honey fan. I've been a mud honey fan for a long time, and uh, you know, it, it was brought to my attention that a lot of times, if I get um, 
packages from Sub Pop that Mark is sending him because he works over there on the dock, on the on the loading dock or whatever it is. He's the guy in charge of sending shit, I think. But uh, he was here. He was in town. So I thought, fuck it. They got a new record out, pretty new at this point. The new one is called uh, Digital Garbage. They also put out a live album of their European tour called Lie. But this is me and Mark Arm of Mud Honey. What brings you down here? Uh, well, I came down here for this, actually. You did? Yeah, and I came down a day early and uh, stayed close to my friend in Venice, and we went surfing yesterday. Was- you went surfing? Yeah. Look at us old men and you doing things that are healthy. I went on a hike up the mountain. Yeah. Yeah. Do you surf in Seattle? Not in Seattle, but in the Pacific Northwest, yeah. You do? Yeah. With a wetsuit? <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> I don't know anything about surfing. It's cold there. I mean, it's, I, well, I know that, but you're probably cold here too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Not as cold? Not nearly as cold. Really? So like in, in my, from what I can see from surfing, when I look at it, Seems to be a lot of waiting. Is it? Is it a there's, lot of? There's a lot of waiting, but that's part <laughs> of it, right? You just sort of like I'm out here, I'm floating around. Sure. Yeah. 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 And, and what do you get? Like one wave a day? Oh if, no, no. Hopefully not. That's <laughs> <laughs> is that a bad day? Well, yeah, that's a bad day. <laughs> like okay, so you went surfing yesterday. How many waves did you get? Ah, uh, like fifteen to twenty, something like that. Really? Yeah. yeah. Like, and, and how long are you up on the board for? Like seven seconds. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we were at Malibu, and so the rides were kind of long. I don't know. I wasn't. I didn't have a watch or a timer. No, I'm just or like we. I'm estimating. I mean, you know, I'm just like I'm curious about the the buzz of it. Like for me, like I go up this fucking hill, but I'm not. I'm not having a good time. I'm happy when I get to the top. Right. But like with surfing, it seems like the the payoff is like I'm up. It's good. <laughs> well, I grew up skiing, and then uh, in the '70s started skateboarding, and then like as I got older, falling skateboarding hurt way too much and skiing got way skiing got way too expensive yeah you know yeah you can't skateboard now oh i I have friends who are older than me who still do it yeah but how how often do they break a thing uh (laughs) they not that often really really yeah 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 i mean but this point they're pretty practiced yeah i I never just stayed in practice like there you got you got 50 something year old friends doing pools and yeah Oh man! Yeah, 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 yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, is what uh, is that? <laughs> well, they're not doctors or anything. What are they? What are they doing during the day? <laughs> uh, some of them are in bands. <laughs> yeah. So wait, so you skied? Like, where'd you where'd you grow up? Did you grow up here? You didn't grow up here. No, no, I grew up pretty much in Seattle. Like, my family moved to the suburbs of Seattle when I was four. Oh yeah, for what? Was your dad in a Boeing guy? Yeah, he was. Yeah. yeah. So you're a Boeing kid. I guess so. Yeah. That's like everybody up there. What, what part of Not town? anymore. Now it's all tech shit, right? Yeah, yeah. What did he do? Yeah, Seattle used to be like a really working class town. Yeah. What part did you grow up in? I grew up in the suburbs. What neighborhood? Kirkland. Uh, oh, yeah. Kirkland. To- Totem Lake area. Kirkland. There used to, wasn't there a club? Didn't you come see me in Kirkland? No, you saw, no, me, no, you I, saw me at the old Giggles. Yeah, I saw you twice at Giggles. Yeah, I think you saw me record that, that dark night. Yes. One of those dark nights of uh, final engagement. That was one of the most amazing sets I ever saw. <laughs> I was like, my jaw was on the floor. I'm like, this must have been what it was like to watch Lenny Bruce. <laughs> it was fucking this is a dark time, man. I kind of figured, because I saw the last of your four shows. Oh, you did? Yeah. And I kind of figured that maybe, after hearing like the CD that came out yeah. later after hearing the album, uh, yeah. I figured that maybe, well, Mark kind of 
must have gotten everything down that he wanted to get down for the recording. Yeah. And it, this last set, he was just fucking out there free forming it was so <laughs> it was mind-blowing i was so happy you were there i was excited yeah yeah i was like fucking mark arms here now, like, thanks uh, to dan sh for whistle yeah yeah for bringing me out yeah well i mean like you know before i knew i've never been to giggles before <laughs> really <laughs> ever you're not a comedy guy not not i mean you know i saw like uh stephen wright in the 80s at, sure. at the college you know yeah yeah <laughs> right <laughs> not, it's not a thing you do Go to right. comedy. And that club is so weird. It was so weird. It was totally weird. You know, the guy who runs the place, he sells you the tickets, he makes the drinks, he serves the drinks, he goes up on stage for five minutes before you go on, and now it's gone. Yeah, yeah. So Kirkland, yeah, there was another, there was a place, wasn't Laughs, it Laughs was over in Kirkland in that strip mall. They, I don't know if he's there. Yeah, that was kind of not too far from the neighborhood that I grew up in. So where, do, okay, so you're growing up, where'd you go to high school? Uh, Bellevue Christian. Oh, yeah, were you, were you brought up Christian? What'd your dad do over at Boeing? Uh, he was an engineer, but I never got a beat on exactly what he did. I talked to so many people who have no fucking idea what their dads do or their parents. What did your mom do? Uh, she, for a while, was an Avon lady and then like got a job as a receptionist for a paint company. She did some Avon? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Had the products at home? Uh, yep, yep. <laughs> Used them? Wondered why you were using them? <laughs> are these good? I don't know. They don't quite, the labels are weird, right? Why is my son wearing lipstick? <laughs> Well, that that became that became explained <laughs> later because it was necessary. So, uh, so okay. So she's working. She's a receptionist. So when, um, so you, how Christian were you brought up? Well, that's a weird thing. Um, I don't think my parents really went to church until like they moved into my neighborhood, yeah. and I, uh, I was I was the only kid. So like I was, you know, they're they're. You're the only child? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that a lot of pressure? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, especially with my parents, yeah. I always ask I always ask only children if they felt this weird pressure. None of them say yes, but you did? Uh, on my mom's behalf. Oh, yeah? Like, you know, before I was born, she bought a baby grand piano, like expecting me to be a concert pianist. Oh, that would have been good. <laughs> <laughs> you kind of, you went the other way, but you, you picked yeah. up an instrument. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, it was brutal. Well, at least she wanted to pressure you to be uh, in the arts. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's yeah. nice. That's supportive. But yeah. what she really... I mean, she she uh, wanted to be an opera singer, but, you know, like she grew up in Germany and was born in 23 uh -huh. or 21. Oh, gee. She had so, to get out. Uh well, I guess she didn't. They were the winning team for a while. No, no, no. She got out after the war uh, oh, really? when my dad met her. Oh, really? Stayed for the whole thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess uh, if you were German before the whole shit went down, you, you could stay. Yeah. <laughs> was your dad German? Uh, no, he's from Kansas. Oh. How'd they, uh, so what, he went to Germany? Yeah, military? He, he, yeah, military. So he liberated your mother? Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, good. That was good. That worked out. Yeah. And but to what what does that have to do with her not being able to be an opera singer? Oh, because like her career sort of like by the time the war was over, she was almost too old. Oh, but she was doing it. She was before? doing it. She, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. She, she went was, to school. She was for studying it, it and ah. and then uh, you know the shit went down. Sure, a lot of shit. Yeah, it? yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. There's a real mess over there. Does she have member? Does she talk about it ever? I uh, tried to get her to talk about it, and she's you know, still around. Like, no, mm. she died in 2015. She no. was like 94. Wow, good yeah. run, huh? Yeah, yeah. I had old folks. Yeah. Oh, you did. They they had you when they were older. Yeah, yeah, oh. yeah. 
And be, which she didn't talk about it when you tried to get her to talk about it? Uh, it was weird to me that like, you know, that whole like German thing, like we didn't know what was happening to the Jews uh-huh. crap, yeah, you know? Right. And, and, but she would say like, you know, my friend who was Jewish and her whole family, like they disappeared, you, you know? It's like, yeah. what did you think happened? happened yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, apparently, uh, after, uh, Kristallnacht, my yeah. grandmother took my mom through the Jewish neighborhood and said, I want you to pay attention, look around and don't say a word. Uh-huh. Like apparently my grandma was not a fan. Of the Jews? No, of Hitler. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> no, uh, you know, my mom was an actual Hitler youth. Oh, really? Which, you know, I think you had to be if you were German. Right. At that time. And yeah. going to school and right right it was um, like they're uh they're the demonic uh uh girl scouts right right yeah, yeah. right and and uh, uh she, my mom told me that uh when the radio announced that like hitler invaded czechoslovakia or poland yeah. whichever the first one was that my mom my grandma explained exclaimed uh oh good that's the end of him oh yeah and and you know my mom who was indoctrinated yeah. was just like kind of looked at her and was like what and apparently she saw her mom just turn white as a sheet and realized like she has to be afraid of her child oh wow that's heavy now yeah. it's a was your mom able to get it out of her system i <laughs> i would hope eventually uh yeah uh man you know germans are tough huh yeah she was always very rigid um <laughs> yeah did you learn how to speak german uh yeah yeah she spoke in the house well, like the first four years um, of my life were in on Air Force Base in Germany, so you, German was my first. You were language. born in, La- in Germany? No, I was born in California on an Air Force Base, mm-hmm. and then my dad got stationed in back in, in Wiesbaden. Yeah. Uh huh. Wow. So, do you have any memory of that? A little bit. Like I remember, uh, it was going to be like my first Halloween, and yeah. this girl that I played with i like bitter on the face and was uh-huh. allowed to do halloween that day you weren't allowed for being a yeah, punk, <laughs> being rock, a- <laughs> punk rock too early <laughs> bitter on the face she all right i i assume so yeah <laughs> so once you get there so you grew up with this uh, i mean an engineer dad does that mean he was engaged or disengaged or you know like he was a, kind of disengaged yeah like a math brain kind of quiet your mom was on top of everything yeah it was, it was Pretty much like that. Yeah. Your mom cook a lot of German food? Yeah. Yeah? Like what? <laughs> uh, well, it's just kind of like, you know, meat, potatoes, and vegetables. I'm yeah. Like, Nothing fancy? No sausages? Schnitzel? Well, schnitzel a thing? She didn't make schnitzel. Uh, she would do a thing called rolotten, which was like yeah. a weird, like pieces of flat beef rolled around ground oh, yeah. beef. Oh, really? And tied up with a string. It's oh, like yeah. I couldn't really ever see the point of that. <laughs> yeah. Was it good, though? <laughs> it was okay. <laughs> Not great. So were you were you playing piano? Did she make you play piano? Yeah. Can you read music? Uh, slowly at this point. I like you know once I got old enough, I kind of put my foot down. I'm not doing this anymore. But were you good? I could play. Like you know, I I was I didn't have the caliber to be like a concert pianist or anything. like Right. That. Who plays the organs on the uh, Mudhoney records? Uh, I played the organ on Kill Yourself Live. Oh, you did? Yeah. yeah. Didn't you, you didn't use any organs on some of the older instrumentals? Was yeah, the first? yeah, yeah. You did, right? Yeah, yeah. And you do that? Sometimes, like uh, Johnny Sankster, who recorded the last record, did the piano uh-huh. on it. Yeah. Um, 
and Guy, our bass player, did the synthesizers. I guess like it, it doesn't require. It's funny, like when you you don't need an, a professional organ player to play organ. You just need to have the instrument. In your right, right. But some, <laughs> sometimes, like on our last record, we actually brought in a guy because uh, we wanted like a Billy Preston type yeah. thing for for a song, and sure. I just knew like I wouldn't be able to do that. Right. And we brought in a guy for Vanishing Point. Yeah, 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 yeah. Who was great. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun, right? To bring in guys. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I was yeah. listening to what I listened to yesterday. I listened to that uh, Love You Live, the Rolling Stones record. Oh, with right. With Billy on there. Right. They had, a, they had Ollie Brown on a percussion. Like, it's sort of weird, right? When you listen to these bands, you know, how do they, you, know, like, you guys keep going, the Stones keep going, but you kind of mix it up a little bit. Try. <laughs> I mean, we still have our thing. Yeah, no, you know. exactly. Yeah, yeah, so the Stones, actually. Right. They, got a, <laughs> they got a few hits, those guys. Yeah, a few. Yeah, no, but I, uh, the, I, I like, well, the thing I like about the new record, and I was just listening to, which one, uh, uh, Kill Yourself Alive, that one, today, that song, is that, like, it's it's sort of weird to uh, to make it this far. We're, 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 I don't know if we're old, but we're certainly middle-aged, and now we have to... <laughs> I, I, at this point, like, when does middle age start? I was uh, with a friend last last night, and uh, oh, we're in it, buddy. I I, I know, but I, just, I think it used to be middle age was like thirty five or was something. Was it? Right? No, I you think, know when people like died at sixty. I guess I think middle age used to be forty ish. Right, right. But I think maybe it's around fifty now. But like, I think like a couple centuries ago, middle age might have been fifteen. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think they looked at it the same way. I don't. I don't think they were sort of like resting on their laurels or reflecting about the youth. <laughs> At 15, you know, I think the idea of middle age became, uh, was probably around that, that idea where you're like, well, I have to be a grown up now or the midlife crisis, right? That whole thing. Did you have one? No, I, I, I think I had that earlier. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you, if you live a life in rock and roll and you stay in rock and roll, it'd be hard to identify what a midlife crisis would look like. Right. Right. It's not, it, I never felt like, uh, there's something I really, really wanted to do that I didn't do because I like got stuck in this career or right. something. Yeah, it would probably be the opposite. It's like, I'm going to buy a suit. <laughs> I'm going to get a nice desk. Yeah, <laughs> I need a desk that I could sit. I could build a cubicle at the house. <laughs> but uh, but there is sort of like, you know, the tone of that, um, of uh, Kill Yourself Alive, that song, and the, and the words of it, like, I've done bits about that. I'd want, I wrote a, in my last special, I did a line. It said, uh, we will all be immortalized as content. Which is sort of oh yeah yeah it's a similar idea right right yours right. a little more dramatic but there is that like it's weird to have a sort of point of view that we have on this this trend this kind of like weird paradigm shift in terms of how people engage in life and uh, you know you you sort of like the the satire of kill yourself alive or the lyrics of that song it's brutal because you know people have done that they've actually killed themselves alive for the likes you've had that line in there for the likes. But like, what do you do? You what do you find when you with these records? I mean, how old are the people coming around to the shows? Yeah, uh, it seems to be like a good range. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, there's people our age, of course. You know them probably by now. Some of them, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Thirty years in, isn't that oh, weird? I've seen you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That dude's here again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Hey, what's up? I'm like, hey, how you doing? Like every year you see him, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. It's great. Yeah. Um, but you finding kids? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's Rock al- kids. There's always kids who are just like find out about the old shit and they're interested in it, and they're also kind of maybe into some of the younger stuff, like 
<laughs> the OCs. Oh yeah, you know so those guys are good. They're great. When did the music start? When did you pick up the guitar? When did you make your mom mad? <laughs> I made my mom mad well before that. That's why I went to the Bellevue Christian School. <laughs> oh, that was a, a sentence. <laughs> yes, that was a sentence. Well, like, what'd you do? Um, the final straw was when I stole a bike. Uh huh. <laughs> Just you know, like for fun? junior high school shit. Well, did you, you know, like it? BMXing was a thing. Yeah, yeah. That. No, I'd, I had like a regular 10-speed bike, and right. I wanted to get into BMXing because like a lot of my friends were doing that. Sure. And, That's uh, pre-skateboard or after skateboard? Kind of around the same time. Yeah. And, uh, which is weird because like I w- was allowed to skateboard, but like I wasn't allowed to get a BMX bike. Oh, you were forbidden. So yeah, that was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Okay. So my friends and I hatched a plan yeah. to get me a bike. Right. And it was just, we were immediately caught. Really? Did you know <laughs> the kid who you stole it from? No. Uh, you just took it? <laughs> and you ended up at the police station? Uh, I don't think we ended up at the police station. The police came to my house. And that, that was like the maddest I've ever seen my dad. Oh, yeah? Like he, You woke you know, him up? He was pretty reserved generally. Yeah. His face, I remember just being like bright red. Yeah, and yeah. Me kind of like, and him being, you know, going around the dining room table like. <laughs> yeah, know, yeah. Like, oh, really? Yeah. He was coming for you. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And uh, and that was the beginning of the delinquency. Well, no, that was kind of actually almost towards the well. I'd done some shoplifting before that, but that kind of put a the kibosh on that. Oh yeah, um, yeah. And you you know the the thing to me, it, look looking back on it, it just yeah. seems like really like my parents must have just thought I was like insane and ungrateful. Like my mom grew up in bombed out Germany. My dad grew up in Kansas in the depression. You know, yeah, and they're like, "Here, we built this life for you, where you, yeah. you just have it easy, and you're complaining about being bored." Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a, that's what comes with not having to work as hard as they did. Right, right, right. Is the boredom? Right. But you didn't have jobs. I did eventually. Yeah. Not, not not at like in eighth grade. No. Well, no. I guess that's right. So the Christian school. So you had to go. Was there a uniform involved? The year that I went was a. The previous year was the last year they had uniforms in high school. Oh, got in under the wire. Oh man, you dressed how you wanted. You didn't end up. <laughs> you didn't end up indoctrinated. Uh, no, but like when we moved into the neighborhood that we moved into, my parents like looked around. And there was a church nearby. It happened yeah. to be a Lutheran church, and they were like, "We should probably take our kid to go there so he gets." You know, right. has a good influence. Was your mom a Lutheran? That's a German thing, isn't it? It is, but I don't think she was anything. Mm. She told me before that her dad- Not since she was a Nazi? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> like her dad grew up Catholic and hated the Catholic church, sure. apparently. Yeah. So she was nothing, but they decided they want to get you on the straight and narrow and go to the church, be part of the community? I guess so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. never sunk in, so they didn't get you early enough. Well, like, you know- sort of half sunk in for a little while in there you know yeah you well you've know, got some you, jesus that video for the new the, for uh kill yourself alive is the it's the walk with the cross right 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 i mean you know you get that shit pounded into your head and you're like you know i remember standing at the bus stop and looking at the like a kind of terrible sky and yeah. just going like oh this is it this is the end times oh yeah this what well, is now <laughs> <laughs> but i mean uh, you you get you hear all this like Oh, sure. There's all this, like, you know, end times crap, like yeah. late great planet Earth. My dad was reading these books. Oh, he was. So he yeah. was a little obsessed with the uh, the uh, eschatology, the uh, try, trying, to, trying to interpret revelations and crap was like he? that. Uh, well, I, you know, I think that was just, 
that was just they would have like bible study at church and but like I said, they got more and more into it and, and i was just kind of like and this is weird wow so it sunk in with him though the revelation oh yeah 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 so he was brought up with it probably i don't think so really i don't yeah got him late in life an engineer yeah yeah because I, I don't think like any of his uh siblings were huh he were particularly religious interesting it is a little nerve-wracking when in an engineer when a math brain starts to look at the end times as a possibility and is kind of decoding revelations. That's not comforting. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he thought he was going to figure it out or anything. He but just, he kind of thought, well, it makes sense. I think he was just, yeah, trying to make sense of things and like he was actually just following what was fed him. I yeah. Think. When did you start playing guitar? Uh, my friend Smitty and I, we started a, our first band... Uh, like just after high school when it became quote unquote real yeah it was a fake band for a while oh yeah what What do you mean you were just uh playing did you take lessons no no just picked it up uh, uh uh we I my first guitar was like uh a pawn shop guitar that had uh the tuning peg of the a string was broken yeah so did it you? had like a flat old flat wound string on there yeah and <laughs> it was electric it was electric yeah. and eventually you know like learned about tuning but not at first sure yeah <laughs> so we would just like make noise yeah you know and what year was this what were you listening to like 79 80 what? uh listening to at that point i'd gotten pretty into punk rock it was happening yeah 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 because we're like the same age how old are you i'm i'll be 57 next month well, i just turned 55 so that was like the beginning of when punk kind of got to America-ish. Yeah, you know, it, it had... It was around, but it was got, hard to get. It was around, and uh, like people who were maybe a little bit older yeah. kind of were into it more, but like... But it was sort of weird. It was kind of hard to get the records. I guess by 80 it wasn't, but like in the 70s, late 70s, they had to come up, like there was a but whole- But the Sex Pistols were on like a major label. Right. Diva was on a major label, you know. Right, but like the, the, the actual life of punk rock, the zines and all that stuff, you kind of had to be in this little network of people, you know, like for like uh, the Minutemen or whoever or 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 um, Black Flag and stuff to know when they were playing or to get gigs and stuff. There was a, seemed, uh, from the guys I talked to, there was a network of young punk rock teenagers who kind of like- grew up around there you know sort of champion that stuff right 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 yeah were you one of them well i got to be one of them right you know first i had to kind of discover things right you know i no one out in the suburb that i grew up with you know had i not gone to bellevue christian i probably wouldn't i, I don't know if i would have gotten into the music the same way i did oh thank god for the christians it, it, well my friend smitty yeah. and and darren and and several, several other people were like you know, who were in the very first band, Mr. Up and the Calculations that uh, I was in, we talked and listened to music all the time. Yeah. And it went from like, you know, listening to eight tracks of, of Live at Leeds and Smash, Jimi Hendrix's Smash Hits to yeah. like Brian, learning about Brian Eno and getting into Devo. Oh, and that was my first thing too, Eno. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and right. the Vel Vel Velvet, Velvet Underground. Underground right? You know? Yeah, from, from Jimi Hendrix Smash Hits with the three Jimmys on front. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Live at Leeds, and then, we, yeah, someone, someone's got someone's to hip you to Eno, and then you're like, oh, there's another world out there. Yeah, yeah, What's yeah. this about? Yeah, there was a really cool record store in Bellevue that, you know, would go to What was that school. called? It was called Roboto Records. It was a used record store. And, the, and that, he was your guy? Who was the guy over there? Oh, there's several people. Uh, um, that guided the youngsters into the world 
of uh, of that you know, of the new music. Like Johnny Roboto, who owned the store with his wife Helena and uh, uh, Tom Dyer, and uh, a couple other people, and you know, oh. they they turned us on to like Ornette Coleman. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and they wouldn't laugh when I like brought up like a Jean Luc Ponty record. <laughs> yeah, oh, they were like, just, what the fuck? No, no, because I was just like trying to figure things out, and they were yeah. like totally cool with like yeah. you know, find your own path or whatever. So then, like, so what are you guys playing? You doing covers? With uh, Mr. Epp. Oh, the, no, uh, no, no. We couldn't complain. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The only thing we could do was make up stuff that we understood. Yeah. Which, you know, like made sense to us. Right. Did you, well, this was the first band, Mr. Epp and the- uh, Calculations. And did you have a following? Uh, eventually, towards the end, uh, uh, it was sort of the nerdier kids in the local hardcore scene. Yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> why? Because you guys were weirdos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were outsiders. We weren't like. Didn't, there was a place in the university district, uh, like the street called uh, University Way, which for some reason gets called the Ave. Yeah, and that's where like all the cool people in leather jackets hung out and sh stuff. Right. You know, and we were just the suburban weirdos. Yeah, doing the weird music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what? So was who was in that band that stayed with you? Was uh, who Steve Turner was? Steve in? Turner joined that band for the last six months, and uh, then the band decided to like not be a band anymore. And Steve and like we're like let's keep playing music. And were you getting better? Was he teaching you stuff? Did he know how to play? No, no, he didn't know how to play either. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, by the time I think I think when. Uh, he joined Mr. Up. I was a marginally better guitar player, but he quickly surpassed me. Yeah. So you're just learning as you went. Yeah, yeah. And was it were you, when did you uh so what was the next band? The next band was Green River. That was a good band. Yeah, yeah, you, I think so. You guys had your shit together then. That was with uh Stone Gossard and the other guy from Pearl Jam. Jeff Jeff Heyman, yeah. You guys still friends? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They still live up there? Uh yeah. Stone does. Uh Jeff's got a place. In Missoula and a place down in Encinitas. Yeah. So okay. So as the, well as Seattle. So now this is the scene con starting to congeal into something. When does it start to sort of shift the Seattle music scene? Like at that time when you start Green River, you guys what did two records? <clears throat> uh, three. Yeah. Um, and that was named after the the the, the, the killer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that was like a straight up like was you what would you call that punk? Uh, at that point, um, we were kind of moving out of hardcore. Yeah. Hardcore kind of felt really restrictive. Yeah. You know, and like, oh, I love Minor Threat, but I don't need to hear another band that sounds exactly like them. Right. You know? Yeah, sure. It's like, what's the point of that? Yeah. And it seemed like, you know, punk rock went from this thing that uh, was sort of wide open. Right. To like getting narrowly defined. You know, right, and that's right. When it started originally, Mike Watts sort of like <clears throat> told me that originally punk rock was just like whatever you could, wanted to do. It was just like if it wasn't part of the mainstream, it fit under the trip. Right, right, right. Yeah. And then it was starting to just be that fast drum. Just, yeah, 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 yeah. And you guys, so. And, you know, and, you know, part of like getting, for me, getting into, when I got into like punk rock, I wanted to find out where this shit came from. And that's how I learned about like the MC5 and the Stooges and, you know. Yeah. Like the basics. Right. <laughs> and you were always singing? Uh, 
in Mr. Rep, I played guitar half the time, and I like Smitty and I would swap. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And what happened to Smitty? Uh, he's still around. He does yeah. cool, weird stuff. Yeah. Um. Uh, Musically. Yeah. Yeah. You guys still friends? Yeah. That's good. I don't see him as you know much as I'd like, but sure. I don't see so many people as much as I like. So when you put the Green River together, like, what's the scene? I mean, because it seems like, you know, what was that, mid-80s? Uh, 84, yeah. So I guess, guess that's smack in the mid-80s. <laughs> so is it starting to come together? You're starting to see the, the cast and crew of the Seattle scene congeal or happen? The, yeah, there's this uh, very short-lived all-ages place called the Metropolis yeah. uh, that a lot of the people that were kind of like of my generation yeah. went to. yeah. And that shut down, and there were like a series of. You saw punk shows there. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that's where they'd play, like yeah. Black Flag, Misfits. Ooh, no, no, Black Flag was kind of too big for that place. But like you know, Husker Du would come through. And, oh yeah, and DOA and oh, Husker Du early on. That must have been a great show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so that place closes, and what happens? There's a series of like art galleries and halls and yeah. stuff that like get used. Um, and then Seattle passes this like teen dance ordinance. Yeah, what is that? Uh, well, there was like a club called the Monastery. It was a dance club, and uh, I guess like some uh, city council members' kids were going there and yeah. getting fed MDA and uh, <laughs> one of those things coming home <laughs> weird. <laughs> yeah, it got closed down. Um, and they passed this draconian. Uh, all ages law basically yeah. like to have any all ages space you have to have like a an insane insurance policy that like no one could afford they basically that was it. legislated all ages places out of existence right so then you well you guys... like all ages shows moved to like bremerton across the water bremerton <laughs> or yeah. down to tacoma yeah um so that was a big shift yeah yeah so we would actually you know pile into a car and go to tacoma or olympia or something you know sometimes up to bellingham to see shows Around this point, I was like already like twenty one yeah. and over, so you know things shifted into like bars, and there was like a couple of, of bars that would have us mostly in midweek as Green River. Yeah, yeah. And who were the other bands playing? Well, Soundgarden was around. Were uh, they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A Mal Alice. Malfunction yeah. was a really cool band. Uh, yeah, uh, the U Men were around. They were a great, great band, but they, you know, they weren't like what you would consider grunge yeah. by any means when did mother love bone happen uh mother love bone happened after green river uh split off there were some guys from green river and mother love bone yeah 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 uh three yeah all of them three <laughs> all of them except me and the drummer <laughs> and then those guys were in pearl Jam as well right or two of those two of them amet amet and, and jeff and stone yeah were, were in mother love bone then went on to pearl Jam. yeah yeah and all right, so Soundgarden's around, you're around, and are you feeling like like something's happening? Like, because like I mean, everyone frames no. it like it's just a couple bands. No, it was, yeah, it was you know, it was just like for in my mind anyway, it was we were like just entertaining ourselves, and you know, my, my friend's band is playing. I'm going to go to that. You yeah, know? yeah. And, all right, so Green River's happening. You guys are getting a following. Yeah, and then how does it break up? Why? Why does this happen, Mark? I don't know exactly. You don't know? You're in it. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, I, I think, you know, people started wanting to do different things. Oh, yeah? yeah and, and I miss playing with Steve. 
Steve but we, we basically. Hmm? Steve who? Smitty? No, Steve Turner. Turner. Oh, he wasn't in Green River? He was uh, on the f- for the first record. Yeah. And then he bailed. Yeah. And then we brought in Bruce Fairweather. Yeah. Who had, who had moved out from Montana with, with Jeff. Uh-huh. With our hardcore band. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, got to move to the next big city if you sure. want to get anywhere. Yeah. Pull them in from <laughs> Iowa, from the Midwest, from everywhere. They go to Seattle. Yeah. Either there in New York or L.A., but Seattle, it well, must have Seattle been... at that point, like no one was thinking of Seattle as like New York or L.A. But it was a place where they could play music. Yeah, they but, knew that much. But you could also play music in Missoula. You could play yeah, but, music wherever. I know, but why'd they go to Seattle? <laughs> I think because they probably just didn't want to be like surrounded by cowboys who beat them up all the time. <laughs> <laughs> There's some rednecks in Washington too. Man. Oh, there are for sure. Yeah, buddy. Like I imagine going down to Tacoma and stuff must have been heavy. Oh, Tacoma's all right. Yeah, Olympia. I mean, How about Olympia? Uh, well, I mean, you know, there was a very strong Olympia independent music scene. Yeah, that had been going on, you know, mainly based around like Evergreen State College mm-hmm. and uh, a radio station, uh, uh, Chaos. No, I, and uh, uh, there was like a magazine called Op. Yeah. And then I think that became option. Yeah. So like, you know, there was a lot of stuff going down there. Yeah. Like people down there were like really plugged into like underground scenes. Right, right. Around the country. And one of those people was Bruce Pavitt. Okay. And, and that's how his subterranean pop fanzine was a thing. Oh, that he was... oh, it started as a fanzine? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, wild. I didn't yeah. know that. So, all right. So Green River breaks up for whatever reason. And, uh, and Turner's back. And you guys start Mud Honey. Yeah. And then at that point, people are coming around looking for bands to Seattle. Some. Yeah. <laughs> well, how'd you guys, like, how'd you guys, uh, where were you starting out? Where'd you, like, who was, um, like, who was, like, by the time you start Mud Honey, it feels, you were ahead of the curve. You weren't really a grunge band. You didn't get kind of put into that, right? I don't know what we, I mean, you know, I thought of what we were was just like another part of like the, uh, you know, the American underground. Yeah. You know. Right. Like in I, there in there with like bands as diverse as like the Buttle Surfers and the Replacements. I you know, one's that. like a straight up rock band and the other one's like, like total weirdos. Right. And we just felt like a part of that continuum. We're sa- right, right, exactly. And so, but you, like your bass player was in the Melvins. Yep, that band like they they have a huge following, and they're they're actually a band where I listen to them, and I'm like, I think this might be beyond me. Oh, they're an amazing band. They are right. Yeah, but I don't. I didn't lock in completely. I have all their records, but it's hard <laughs> stuff. Yeah, yeah. How come he left the Melvins? Oh, he got booted. Oh, he did. <laughs> he picked up the the Melvins. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, expelled people. He, he was the first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that first Mud Honey record, that was a sub pop record. How did that come to be? Because I remember getting that record. I'm like, what the fuck is this? And I loved it. I loved the first record. What year was that? In 89. So that's when things are starting to happen. Yeah. I mean, we went to Europe right away. Yeah. Yeah. And how were, how were you received over there? You know, it, it varied on the, on the very first tour. We did like nine weeks yeah and, and the first couple shows were with sonic youth in the uk and a couple in northern europe oh wow then after that we were on our own for many 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 weeks yeah. and uh 
sometimes we would just play into play a room in front of like a handful of people. Yeah, you know, sure. Uh, and I think we had like maybe twelve songs. <laughs> <laughs> but you're coming together. Your style's starting to define. Yeah, itself. yeah, yeah. Like I feel like we had, you know, by the time we started, we had a pretty good idea of like the kind of thing that we wanted to do. Yeah, and it was informed by like you know, of course, like Stooges, Stooges, and like. Uh, stuff that was happening in Australia at the time in the 80s. Who is that? Oh, like the scientists and the cosmic psychos. Um, Where'd you pick up on that stuff? Just underground fanzine world. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I don't know either of those bands. What were they? They were just sort of doing like a post-punk rock thing. Yeah, and the feed, feed time mm-hmm. were, were pretty integral. All right, so like you put that, well, well the, the self-titled record, that was a big break, right? That was supposed to be the big record? things were just sort of building you know yeah. the next record every good boy deserves fudge i think sold really really well out of the gate yeah i like that record and then we uh moved to warner's okay so what happened at sub pop uh they were overextended and cash strapped and yeah y- you know i mean, i think if we would have realized I mean, this is hindsight and everything that like they had points on Nirvana record and they would that would keep them afloat that we wouldn't have felt the need to leave. So at the time when when did that when? So I right, so every good boy deserves fudge comes out around the same time as what bleach? No, uh, um, never mind. Oh, so never. OK, so that was around the same time. Yeah. So now all of a sudden that's the biggest album in the world. Right, right. And sub pop. It's a sub pop record. Well, no, it was a, a Geffen record. Uh-huh. But sub they bought out their contract from This is a crazy thing in the early days uh Sub Pop did not have contracts. Uh-huh. And I guess like the guys in Nirvana got like kind of freaked out and they went, "We want a contract, you know." So that uh uh Bruce and Jonathan quickly, you know, scrambled and put a contract together and yeah. so the Nirvana guys signed that and have they not demanded to have a contract uh, sub pop would have not gotten shit on nevermind and they would have been long gone yeah pro- probably but they still made money off of bleach after nevermind right, right, yeah, right yeah, yeah 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 so okay so this is all happening and you the reason you went to warner was because you thought sub pop was going under uh, yeah mm. we first went to like uh Caroline, which was also a record label and distributed Sub Pop, and that's right. Yeah, the, they did the Smashing Pumpkins first record. Yeah, and, yeah, and had a meeting with like the president of that uh, company, and he told us, uh, you know, what you really need to do is sweeten up your guitars and go on tour for nine months like the Smashing Pumpkins. And after we'd done like a nine week tour, we're like, we're never doing that again. <laughs> <laughs> and we're just like, well, this is insane. We might as well just like check other options because in if, terms of like if, other... if you know because you get the idea that like the major label is going to be the one like putting the hammer down and it's like this dumb little indie label was like putting the hammer down well they want like but you guys like that rawness was what you were i mean they wanted to yeah 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 yeah, yeah. i mean that, that that was just ridiculous to us right i mean you, you've that... i mean i remember the first time we went in to record with jack and dino he actually asked us, like, no, are you sure you want your guitars to sound like this? Who's Jack and Dino? <laughs> uh, he's a recording engineer. Yeah. did, like, a lot of the early sub-pop stuff. Oh, okay. Are you sure you want your guitars yeah, to sound yeah. like that? <laughs> Which was, that, it was a Stoogie sound, right? Just raw-ass, kind of like, you know. That was, you know. Yeah. 
I remember one time uh, Lee Ronaldo asking me, like, what are you going for with your guitar sound? And this is in the very early days. I'm like, well, you know, at the beginning of uh, I Want to Be Your Dog, where, like, the first three chords come in and then it pauses and everything kind of breaks up. I want that. <laughs> right before that part. Well, right before the riff starts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was the portal. Yeah. And you locked into it. <laughs> Tried. Yeah. And that was it. That, that was the, the main uh, inspiration. So, like, so did you have arguments with these guys? I mean, what happened when you went to Warner? Was it re Reprise Records? It was Reprise, and, uh, you know, we brought up the examples of, like, Husker doing the replacements. Like, yeah. you know, how come, like, when they moved to Sire and Warner Brothers, like, their records started sounding slicker, and, and uh, Lenny Warnocker, who at the time was, like, the president of the company, was yeah. like, you know, we just gave them money, and they did what they wanted to do. Is that true? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but you know they at that point like things were exploding with like nirvana and pearl jam and the record labels had no idea what this thing was right you know because it just came out of left field from like uh two different know. it was like two different directions too y yeah it yeah like, it was you know like on one hand they had like hair metal bands and on the other hand they had like paula abdul or whatever right. You know, and then here's this thing that's just kind of come organically. The salvation of rock. From the underground. Well, I don't know about that, but, you know, came definitely came from the underground. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the people were just, like, kind of caught off guard. And but they knew there was money there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They were like, why aren't we mining the money there? Yeah. And, you know, I, I knew they knew that we had an association with all those bands and people came sniffing around and, you know... We found a lawyer who would, uh, like the last thing we wanted to do was get into like a bidding war, that kind of yeah. crap. Cause we knew we weren't, we knew we weren't going to sell shit. You did? <laughs> you know, we, we knew there's like a limited appeal to what we're doing. Like by the history of the bands that we love. Yeah. You know. Oh, right. Yeah. You, you know, like. Your heroes didn't make it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> 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 the the best case scenario was not great. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I mean, you know, we would say at the time, like, you know, if you look at our record collections, like, 90% of the records are like bands that are also Rams. You know, sure, we got like Alice Cooper and David Bowie and yeah. Rolling Stones and Beatles in there, but like everything else is shit that no one likes except for a handful of people. Right. And and you're like, that's our, those that, are our people. That, those are our people. That's where we're. But you never thought at that time, like, well, what could we do to sell more records? No. Okay. The I mean, you know, sell more. You can't, like, bitch about selling records, but, like, we weren't, like, going to compromise what we were about. And you weren't, you, you weren't hung up on making a hit? No. <laughs> um, I don't know if we even could. <laughs> what do you mean? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you know. You got some hooks. Yeah, we got some hooks. <laughs> <laughs> but but this was a but this was a by design, not by insecurity. Right. No, no. No. I yeah. mean, you know, by the time Madani started, I was twenty six year old and I had a pretty good idea. I wasn't like a nineteen year old kid like who right. was easily swayed. Right. But you know, you did but like at what point did um because alongside of that scene, like a lot of guys went down, man. The dope thing really took a lot of guys out. I mean, when did, did you see that happen? Do you know when it came in? Uh, <laughs> um, 
I mean, it must have been it, sort it, of like it was, it's here. It was always kind of there. Oh, really? You know, you know, like with like earlier in like the uh, Seattle punk scene before like anybody paid attention to it. There were like people who were strung out. But then it just got out of control. Um, I don't know if it was any more out of control than what was happening in San Francisco or L.A. Right, or Portland, Minneapolis or Portland for sure not. <laughs> yeah, Portland was like you know that that uh, they had a major dope problem in the uh, uh, 80s. Yeah, and you just saw guys dropping, I guess, huh? Well, it eventually. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and some 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 of them lived <laughs> a long time. Like one guy, like lived for decades and succumbed to cancer oh really yeah. it's a management thing yeah <laughs> did you get fucked up on it yeah yeah on and off how long did it take you to get off um i did it for a total of about five years and the first two years were like you know like just sort of recreational yeah when, when you were touring with it and recording with it and... recording not touring none, yeah. none of the other guys in my band were into it at all and like oh, you know, so they... you became like oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they were probably just like, "Oh fuck!" Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then, uh, like a the last half year before I quit, I was like, quit for good. I was just kind of chipping away at it a little bit. Yeah. And then my wife and I started going out, and she was like, "Are you going to do this anymore?" And my initial answer was like, oh, "You know, you never know what the future is going to bring." And she's right. like, "If you do it." Ever again, I am out of here, and that was all it took. Really? Yeah, yeah. And you just got off it. Yeah. Do you guys have kids? No. Wow. So when when was that? Uh, that was uh, the summer of 1993. Oh, it's been that long. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, lucky you. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What'd you replace it with? Uh, I don't think I replaced it with anything. No. You don't have that. You don't. You don't have that compulsive, addictive mindset. No, and you know surfing. Well, I mean, that, I guess that's kind of <laughs> compulsive, addictive because I kind of think about it way too much. Yeah. Um. But luckily, I I feel like I managed to, uh, you know, like for a while I stopped drinking and everything like that, and then did like an interferon treatment in the early two thousands. You know which was a brutal, brutal thing for hepatitis C, you know? Oh, you got- Like, it was 11 months of oh, you, just kind of- You had the hep? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, it, I mean, I felt like, you know, I thought, like, I got away with this thing unscathed. I yeah. didn't die. Yeah. I didn't pick up anything, and then, like, later on, I found out I'd- You had it? Hep C, and- uh, well, That's treated, that's curable now. But yeah. But you're on, that's rough, man. Yeah, it was- Did a, it work? It was 11 months, and it worked. Oh, you you got it worked for you. Yeah, yeah. Beat you up, beat you up though, huh? Yeah, yeah. You know, like part of the um, the uh, uh, the warnings for it were like uh, may cause suicidal or homicidal thoughts, ideation, and tendency, you uh -huh. know, and action. Was that true uh, for you? No, I mean, I didn't feel like I was going to want to kill anybody or myself, but uh, it was during the run up to uh, you know, Gulf War Two. Yeah, and you know, you could see what was coming for a mile away and I would just like watch the news and just start bawling. Yeah. You know, my nerves were just so raw. Yeah. How are they now? <laughs> They're a little more calloused. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that interferon beats the shit out of people. I've known people with have C. They're like, I'm, doing that. I'm not doing that. Uh, I, I think it's worth it just to get it 
cleared and out of the way. And if you can, if it works, doesn't always yeah. work for everybody. No. But now they got a thing that seems to work for everybody. Yeah, which is great. It's expensive, but it's good. So, so I guess so. Piece of cake was the last dope record. Um, yeah, uh, there was. You know, we r- recorded in the same uh, basement studio that we we did. Uh, Every good boy deserves fudge. Yeah, and uh, and that was you know one of the things when we signed to the major label, we're like, we're going to put our foot down and do things the way we have done. Yeah. And we're not going to go to a big studio and right. try to make a fancy record. We're right. just going to try to keep it lean. And and also one of the benefits of our contract was that uh, what we didn't use in the recording budget, we got to keep. Yeah. So like, you know, we had like $120,000 to record. We used like $30,000 and the rest yeah. of it, we just split up and everyone put down payments on houses. Good. That's a good move. Yeah, it was, it was a, that was the first time I did anything smart with money. So you got that house? <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. It must be worth something now, huh? Uh, yeah, but you know, if I sold it, then I would have to just buy something equally no, expensive. No, no, stay in it. But it's nice to have, like have to be able to look back and go like that was smart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So would you do four records on reprise? Three, four. Yeah. yeah there's an EP in there. So. And then when you went back to Sub Pop? Yeah. And they're like, they're back in the game. They do all right? Oh, they do great. Yeah, they're putting out I mean, a lot I, of records. I work records. in the warehouse. I know. <laughs> that, was like, that, that was one of the weird big lessons of, uh, of like, you know, the rock life was when Schwissel said you were coming to the show. And then he told me like, yeah, he works over in the warehouse. Like if you order something from Sub Pop, he's signing that out. You're, you're the guy that- <laughs> Well, I actually don't do mail orders so much, but I do like- Did you then? No, I, no. I, I ship to stores oh, okay. and distributors. Like well, you I, sent me some records. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Those were good records. Yeah. Your, your record and what, the Spider Bags record? Um, no, uh, there's no- Hot Snakes? Hot Snakes, that's it. Uh, Hot Snakes record is fantastic. Yeah, your record's good. The new record's, your record's great. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I mean, now, do you feel, how have you changed as a, you know, musicians over time? I mean, do you, I mean, I know you're still doing the same thing, but it definitely sounds like you've gotten- more adept at, uh, at you know at uh, putting you know composing stuff and producing stuff. I mean, it definitely, it's not. It doesn't sound like the early record specifically. No, I mean, you know, you get better at what you do <laughs> by doing it over and over again. But like, how does it? How has it changed? I mean, like in terms of how you guys work together. Uh, well, we all have jobs and stuff, and uh, that aren't music jobs. Yeah. Oh, really? No. Just to survive jobs. Yeah. Like, what's everyone doing? <laughs> uh, guy is a nurse at the trauma center in uh, Seattle. He's Bass actually, player? yeah, he uh, um, is more on the administrative sides of things. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Steve works at a pressing plant in Portland, Oregon. Pressing what records? Uh, records, yeah. Oh yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. And uh, Dan uh, drives Uber and Lyft. Uh huh. So everybody okay with yeah. that? Oh yeah, you know, I mean, I think in terms of making music, it's a really good place to be. Yeah, because we're not relying on the music to like feed ourselves, and right, you're not living that life at this age. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I I like touring and playing, but I don't want to be on the road as much as it would take if that was like our only gig. Right. Yeah. 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 I and and when you go out, how often do you go out? Um. We're doing a series of like weekend shows and then we've got a two week US tour happening in October. That's yeah. gonna be kinda it for the year. Yeah. And do you like what what kind of venues do you play in? 
what do you draw? We're playing the Echoplex here. Oh, okay. Yeah. And with, with the flesh eaters who are like oh, one yeah. of... Oh, uh, yeah. They're from the old days too, yeah, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> That's wild. And is it nice to... I guess like on some level, there is there still like some camaraderie between... Like, what is it like to have been... Because, you know, you were sort of a mainstay in, in a certain sound and of a certain time, and you guys sort of survived and kept putting out records. And you saw your peers become huge and, and, and in, in a lot of times not end well. I mean, you know, that must have some sort of impact on you i mean like i don't know how well you like well i mean mother love bone was the beginning of the sort of like you know I, you know visible people like getting fucked up and dying but like you know between cobain and uh and then the allison chains guy and then a lot of those seattle guys and then fucking Soundgarden. i mean like do you feel that that level of success that some of those bands had had something to do with them fucking you know their demise uh well maybe i mean it gave them access to a shitload of money yeah <laughs> right know? so you could just like but it seems spend it carelessly right on stupid shit i guess so but it also insulated them you, you know what i mean like it, it's it's i think it's hard to i don't know like what's the difference between like a, a pearl jam and, and a sound garden in terms of how they handled their you know their trip you know what i mean i, I guess i just don't understand i guess I, I i'm impressed with the idea that you're okay and comfortable with w the way your career went you know as opposed to like these guys that like you know they go up and they come down they can't handle coming down yeah i don't i don't know you don't uh, think the, about i it? can't get in other people's heads sure um uh but you don't have any bitterness Oh, I've got bitterness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah? yeah, but not, um, you know, uh, about that. I don't know. You know, what do you have it about? Oh, just like the state of the world. I've always right. kind of had <laughs> chip on my shoulder, <laughs> right? But not about how how the music's been received or how you're like our music. Yeah, no, no, it's been gravy. I mean, when we started, like when I started my first band, I never even like conceived of anything like this. Yeah. <laughs> you know right. i mean this is crazy right this is crazy to like have been the funny thing is when uh mr Epps started there was this one guy who was involved named peter who uh like when we decided to like make it real and play our first show he yeah. was like you know what guys i'm out i don't want to make music my career and it, we were just like you were insane <laughs> like how and, and he turned out to be right because like here i am like 35 years later still making music and and have another job and have another job well i guess like there that's a certain grown-up kind of like understanding of of limitations and possibilities to where you know the heartbreak of committing your life to music can be pretty brutal and he just knew that like no i want to live <laughs> that but I not think he, i think he wanted to be a writer which you know is like another oh that's another <laughs> yeah. oh, sorry. he wasn't like i'm gonna go live a regular life no. <laughs> i'm gonna pick something harder yeah yeah well well i'm glad that you're okay but you're so you're in in this record what happens with this record how many did you make i mean is it gonna like uh, does it get radio play what happens now with know. records you know i mean it might get radio play on like college radio stations and whatnot and on the jesus video for uh for uh kill yourself live who are all those guys in there they seem like people you know they, some of them are yeah yeah for sure like other musicians yeah some other musicians um the guy who played Jesus, I didn't know before, but uh, the director knew him. Who directed it? Uh, it's Car C Carlos Lopez. Uh huh. 
He did also the I Like It Small video, and I mean, he's great. Yeah, I liked the video. Yeah, I liked it. And where where does that, what does a music video do these days? Where does it go? You don't know? You just YouTube. Yeah. I don't know what the point is. <laughs> well, it was good talking to you, man. Yeah, it's good talking to you too, it's Mark. It's good to see you. Okay, that's it. What a full show. All right? And free the farts. Free the farts. That's what I say. All right? But you know be, you know be be prudent about where you let them free. That's all. Uh, what's go Oh, okay. You can go to wtfpod.com/tour for all my tour dates to see if I'm going to be near you. I'm in San Diego tonight, tomorrow and Saturday. Um, at uh, the American Comedy Club. those There's a link to that on the site. All right, so let, I'm going to play some guitar and uh, probably not fart during it. 